Welcome to the Boulder Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Davis. I hope you and yours are faring well and staying healthy during these interesting times. Our guest for episode number 74 is Andre Tereshuk. By day, he's an R&D engineer at Broadcom, specializing in data visualization. But his primary passion is creating artbots as a way of sharing and promoting art across several social media platforms. He's been at it for about six years now and has given life to over 400 bots posting art by Monet, Kandinsky, Hopper, Dolly, and hundreds more. We discuss how this project came about, what Andre learned from it, and the intersection of art and technology in our time. All of that and more as the Boulder Tech Podcast talks art bots with Andre Tereshuk. I know you for your art bots, which we'll talk about in a bit, but what do you do for your day job, Andre? So for my day job, I'm an R&D engineer at Broadcom. It's a typical software engineering position where 90% of my time is spent writing code. I'm a part of, a, of the data analytics team and my responsibility is to work on data visualizations for our various products. How does someone who values art as much as you seem to become a software engineer? That's a long road, long, long answer. My journey in the tech world started by the way of art. So for the first three years of college, I attended a very traditional art school, you know, where most of my time was spent drawing and painting. And this was kind of like in the late 90s when the internet was really starting to take off. And I felt that I was left out. So I really wanted to be a part of it. And um, I applied for a design, kind of like a web design degree at the Art Institute of Colorado. And so I was able to move from Russia and start kind of like on a new career path here in the States. But the, the more I designed for, for the web, the more I realized that I wanted to control larger part of the user experience. And so little by little, I started getting into the code and teaching myself how to code. And eventually I was coding 90% of the time. So for me, the transition from kind of like being this applied artist with a pencil and, and a paintbrush to, you know, a software engineer went through several iterations where, you know, I just pursued my interest, you know, in design, internet, and user interaction. So you didn't come to the States until you came to the Art Institute of Colorado. You were in Russia until then. Correct. Yes. So I did my first three years in co of college in Russia. And, you know, again, it was very traditional Russian art school. I think we had like four computers, you know, you know, in the entire building. And then I come to the States and I was already 19, 20, and I enrolled in, at the Art Institute. So backing up before that, you have said that art played a big role throughout your life. Why do you, why do you think that is? Well, I mean, I grew up in a family of artists and my dad was an artist and I was just surrounded by art from an early age. And I guess when you're a kid, you don't pay much attention to all the art on the walls or the conversations your parents have, but it does have a profound effect on you. And so my parents, they always encouraged creativity and I always saw myself as a creative person. And even at the time, I didn't really know, but I always thought that I would do something in the creative field, be it art or something along, along those lines. Do you consider yourself an artist? 
I certainly could consider myself one. Yes, maybe not as much in the traditional sense of the word, but I do creative work. Perhaps I'm more of a performance artist right now, and and my medium is social media right now. <laughs> so your engineering or your art kind of led you to engineering, and some might say that an engineer is the opposite of an artist. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I don't think they're mutually exclusive. I think engineering is a different medium and it requires a different skill set, but it's also an art form. Just think of Leonardo da Vinci. Was he an engineer or an artist or both, right? He did paint Mona Lisa, but he also designed all kinds of contraptions, weapons, fortifications. And there's so many examples like that. Just think Frank Lloyd Wright or Apple or Tesla. So I think for us, it's uh, we want things to fit in these neat, neat categories. What is art and what is engineering? Where I think that in reality, those boundaries, they're always shifting and the distinction is very fluid, right? You don't really know when you shift from art to engineering. Right. Because really, in a way, each are a kind of a mindset as much as an activity or, or an action or you know, a job or whatever, however you want to call it. And so in a way, you know, looking at someone like Da Vinci, the art and the engineering sort of inform each other, influence each other. Correct. In a sense that, you know, when you're building something, right, it's kind of like the form dictates function or sometimes function dictates form and making those two things work together and work beautifully I think this is kind of where the challenge comes, challenge of design. And in a lot of cases, like when I look at somebody's code and that code is well-written, I look at it and I appreciate the craftsmanship and also kind of like they're almost the artistic qualities of, of it, mm-hmm. right? I was like, wow, this person has a, you know, he, he thinks clearly, he has a way to communicate his ideas. And uh, he does it in, these, in this beautiful and concise way. So I think the line is very blurry for me, where art ends and engineering begins and vice versa. Is that something you've noticed in, in reading other people's code? Like, do you get a feeling from the code? Like, oh yeah, this person is an artist, is a craftsperson versus, yeah, they're an engineer, they're really smart, they know how to get from A to Z, but it's very kind of, I don't know, rote or didactic or whatever the right term is, versus when you see that beautiful, clean code. Can you look at code and sort of get a feeling of what, the, what their artistic tendencies? Well, there's certain craftsmanship, right, that is associated with the quality of the code that you write. And you can make things work either efficiently or inefficiently, I mean, you know, sometimes a user that interacts with that code will never know. Mm -hmm. But as a developer, you can really see the difference. You know, it's their craft, it's their art, so to speak. And the solutions are elegant. And is this art? I had probably no. It's more like an efficiency question. But when I look at it, I'm just like, oh, wow. That person is, I don't want to say an artist, but... Yeah, this is, this, is, this is a hard question, but there's certainly a level of craftsmanship and, and, um, and beauty and the efficiency. You and I met a couple of Decembers ago, December 2018. We were in the same cohort of Ignite speakers. 
And you spoke about your project involving art bots, which is mainly what we're here to talk about today. And so tell us what the art bots are and how you landed on the idea for them in the first place. Sure. It started, I would say, in, uh, in the fall of 2013 when I was working on an app to help contemporary artists promote their work on social media. The idea was is that as an artist, you would upload your work to my app, connect a social media account to it, and my app would share art on your behalf. But back then, it was a still very new concept, this idea that you would let something else control your social media presence. And so nobody used it. It was a complete dud. And I was sitting there and I was thinking, well, if living contemporary artists are not using it, what if I share art of people that have died and wouldn't mind? And so I decided to create a few social media accounts for some of my favorite artists. And uh, the first artist I created was Vasily Kandinsky. You know, he, he, he's known mainly for his abstract art. I created a Twitter account for him uploaded a bunch of his art to my app and created a bot. And what a bot is, it's essentially a social media account that runs on autopilot. So it shares content, it does things like, you know, retweet other people's posts, but all of that stuff is done automatically. And an art bot is essentially a social media account that shares art. And this is how this project started. And early on, I realized that people, not only they enjoyed following these bot accounts, but they you know, were interacting with them and it really exploded. It took me by surprise because I never intended on building this network of bot accounts. I was just trying to test out an app that I built and also wanted to see some of my favorite artists on Twitter. What was the initial response? The initial response was that I came into this with the expectation that nobody's going to follow these accounts. These are clearly bots. There's no human, you know, clicking the share button and people won't be interested. But to my surprise, people started engaging with the content. So people start following these artists. They start reposting their work. They started discussing art on social media. And I quickly realized, I was like, wow, there's something there because people are so tired of politics and personal opinions and all these things that they really just want to see art in their feeds. And they started with Kandinsky, but then people started asking about other artists. They're like, hey, can you make an account for Paul Klee or Malevich or Georgia Keith? And so I thought, sure, why not? And so I would create those accounts. And my next realization was that when these artists were alive, right, if they'd been on Twitter, they probably would repost the work that was interesting for them. And so I programmed an algorithm that would essentially guide these bots to repost similar content. So Kandinsky would retweet people of the Bauhaus or the Russian avant-garde. Georgia Keefe would, you know, retweet Agnes Martin or other female abstract painters. And it, it just became a lot of fun. And over the years, it grew and grew and grew to where right now I have, I think on Twitter alone, over 400 of these bots. Wow. 
wow. How much work and time goes into creating a single art bot? It depends. The main aspect of it is assembling a content library, collecting all the works for, for a given artist from different museums or open collections. And so that's kind of like the first step. And I have a bunch of scripts that crawl around the internet collecting the data. And sometimes it's just as easy as launching a script. It maybe takes an hour, 20 minutes. Other times it's a little bit more involved when I have to import art from open museum collections. So it depends. But once the content is gathered and the social media accounts are set up, then the system starts sharing the content and it slowly learns based on how users interact. It starts learning, well, which content works better, which art people like more, what are the best times to share that content, etc. So the initial setup, I would say, could take anywhere from three to maybe 10 hours. But then after that, it runs on autopilot. Okay. So at 400 art bots, and that's just on Twitter, right? You've also got Facebook, Pinterest, and... Tumblr. And Tumblr. Think of it as you have a single repository of content mm -hmm. and a set of algorithms that are tweaked for each social network. Right. Right. So a bot on Facebook acts different than a bot on Twitter versus a bot on Tumblr. Gotcha. And the initial setup across the board is you go in, you get the library of content, you create those accounts, and then you let the bot loose and let it learn. So it does require extra time, but not as much for a traditional social network. But I mean, it's still a lot of work. Yeah. You're still adding artists, I, I take it. I am. In fact, I believe I saw that a tweet from you that you are currently uh, bringing in art from the MoMA collection. Yes. So right now I'm in the middle of art import from the MoMA. Um, I share art from the Met, from Tate, from a lot of different museums. So yeah, there's so much art out there and there's so many museum collections that are open and that expose their data for sharing. And I took it upon myself to bring all that art to social media. So I'm always adding new collections, updating these algorithms, changing how, how things work because Facebook and Twitter, they, you know, they make changes to the APIs. So it's a continuous cycle. There's always something happening. And then on top of that, at various times, you've had issues with Twitter and Facebook and some of the other platforms banning or suspending some of your bots for various reasons, for obscenity, because there was a nude. Talk about that a little, including what you had to go through to get those bots back online. Well, and we can start by acknowledging that there is a lot of nudity in art. Yes. <laughs> a lot. And um, the, the line between nudity and pornography is also blurred. You know when you see it, mm -hmm. but even when you see it, you don't always know. And so when I first started doing it, I would get in trouble almost every week with every social network because one of my art bots would share content that they would deem inappropriate. Especially Facebook was notorious for that. If they would see a, an exposed breast in a Renaissance painting, they would block me for sharing it. 
It's gotten better over the years, but it's, I, I still get blocked a lot. So nudity is a really big is a really big thing. But there are also like a number of other different issues here. First of all, the concept of a bot is still a fairly new on social networks. And they're trying to figure out, well, what are the rules? How do we govern these bots? What are these bots allowed and not allowed to do? And so that part is always in flux. And they're justified in that because, you know, several years ago, right, during the last presidential election, we saw how the same technology, these bots, they were used to spread misinformation and took advantage of the social media networks and the algorithms and recommendations to spread nefarious content. So yeah, when Twitter cracked down on the bots, they cracked down on my bots as well. And they, they suspended a bunch of my accounts and I had to work with them to reinstate those accounts back and to prove that, hey, not all bots are evil. And to Twitter's credit, they've been very receptive to this idea. And you know, they asked my opinion on some of their policy and developer guidelines for the bots. And so they're open to input and they've been friendly. Um, as far as Facebook, they just outright blocked my accounts. And there's really no clear path forward with Facebook that I figured out just because of how they work and what they allow and what they don't. So do you have someone like a Twitter, when one of your bots gets knocked offline, you can just shoot them a note and say, hey, it's happening again, or do you have to go through a whole process? Yes, there, there is a person on Twitter uh, that helps me deal with those issues, and I'm really grateful to them for it. They see the value of the project, and mm -hmm. they see the value of having art on their platform. And they also recognize that to do the same work that these bots do on Twitter in terms of the volume of art they share. It's almost, you have to have an army of people doing it. And so, and they also recognize that in some cases, their rules and their guidelines don't cover every case. So yes, uh, lately I've been really grateful because every time they take down a bot, I'd email someone and the bot would be back up within days. That's a valuable thing to have someone on the inside at a place like that. Absolutely. When you spoke at that Ignite back in December 2018, you announced that your art bots had attracted 150,000 new followers in that uh, November 2018 alone, bringing the total to four and a half million. 18-ish months later, how have those numbers grown or changed? They've doubled, essentially. A few days ago, I've crossed 9 million followers. Wow. And you know, the breakdown is about 50% of those are on Tumblr, and then a couple of million on Facebook and on Twitter. Mm -hmm. But the numbers grow steadily. And you know, people, I think people on social networks, they see these accounts as almost like a breath of fresh air right? There's no politics. There's no personal opinion. They're not following me and my biases and preferences. They're just following art. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even though I curate the art, I try not to inject any personal bias into what is shared when it's shared. So yeah, I, people enjoy it and they follow these accounts and it's great. Speaking for myself, I was immediately intrigued from your first run through at the first Ignite practice. I think I went on Twitter that night probably and started following a few and 
have definitely added a lot. So now my Twitter feed is basically politics, coronavirus, currently, of course, George Floyd and related protests, and a whole lot of incredible art. And it's a pretty good mix. I think I need to add even a few more artists to get it tilting a little even more heavily in that direction, but just to get the day started, have a cup of coffee, scroll through Twitter a little, and just see Edward Hopper's amazing, incredible use of light in everything he's ever done. It's just a, a beautiful thing to wake up to. I love it every morning. It's one of the first two or three things I see in my feed, and it's an amazing thing, the feeling that it brings and just the sense that, you know, knowing that I'm connecting with a lot of other artists. Also looking at the like counts and seeing, you know, Hopper gets a lot and the big artists, but then someone, you know, one of my favorites is Hundertwasser and he really doesn't get that many at all. Do you know, like have a, a popularity ranking of the bots? There is, and, and I rank them based on the number of followers, but also based on the number of engagements uh, that they receive. So engagement is anytime you engage with a, with a piece of content, right? Mm -hmm. You either like it, you comment on it, or you retweet it. But the, at the top, you have all the usual suspects. You have Picasso, you have Van Gogh, you do have uh, Hopper is, is very popular. Lately, uh, a lot of African-American artists have been gaining uh, quite a bit of followers. And so I have you know, some of the accounts, like I have an account for Smithsonian Museum of African-American Culture. And through that, I share a lot of art by those artists and it's been great to see those accounts grow but usually it's when people get their first introduction right they seek these rock stars like claude monet and vincent van gogh and picasso but then they start branching out as they get exposed more and more to different styles and to different artists so at the top it's very predictable but there have been a number of artists that are not widely known but they've been getting a ton of attention, a ton of impressions. So like, you know, when we're talking about million impressions just for a piece of art. And sometimes it's interesting to see because it um, gets associated with like some sort of a trend. And, you know, so. Right. Do you have a favorite art bot? Is your favorite still Kandinsky or? No, I'm very promiscuous when it comes <laughs> to art bots. My preference shifts. So right now I'm really into Benny Andrews. He's American expressionist painter, amazing. Uh, like, it's interesting, right? You look at something that's been painted in the 60s, but it has this crazy relevance for today. Hmm. You know, again, what we're living through with Black Lives Matter and George Floyd protests and a lot of social issues, they've been here with us for all this time. We just didn't pay attention to them. But these artists, African-American artists, they reflected in, in their work decades and decades ago. And it was all there, but now it has a different meaning. Right. So um, I love Andrews and right now I'm working on the MoMA accounts and I just love it. There's just so much diversity and so much just different art that I've never seen before and never even thought existed. And so I've been geeking out on that a lot. From following you, directly on Twitter. You also appear to have an interest or fascination with Van Gogh. You talk about him a lot. Yeah, so through this Artbot project, 
you know, I realized that how little I knew about some of these artists. And um, I recently picked up Van Gogh's biography called Van Gogh, The Life. And I've been reading it. And um, I'm kind of like doing this thing where I read something every morning and I uh, tweet some interesting things. So yeah, it's just fascinating. He's, he was a fascinating character and he lived in, in an interesting time. And so I can't say I'm fascinated with him, but I think in general, I'm interested in the people, you know, in people of the time and just the creative process and the struggle that he experienced and kind of like the disappointments of his life and everything else. So. Do you get a lot of direct interaction with people following the bots? I do. Uh, a lot of times it's around um, either a piece of art that people start discussing or whenever a bot would share something inappropriate. Uh, I, I'm doing air quotes, inappropriate, or something that triggers somebody or content is misattributed. So people reach out and say, hey, Andre, why is your bot doing this? Or why is your bot doing that? But it is a great community. Just like the art community on Twitter is amazing. And I'm fortunate to be a part of it. I also seem to recall from your talk that you get messages from people that are intended directly for the actual artist, even though that artist may have been dead for decades or centuries. <laughs> well, and the funny part of it is when I made these accounts, I wanted them to act as if an artist was alive. And so they would send out recommendations, they would share their art, and for people who are just getting introduced to the art, a lot of these names are unknown. And maybe they follow an artist without even reading a description. And they start building a relationship with that artist as if the artist was alive. Mm -hmm. uh, in my talk, I had this one funny uh, exchange where there's this German expressionist painter, Otto Dix, who painted a lot of World War I scenes. And they were very gothic and dark and gruesome. And so that artist attracted a lot of, on Twitter, kind of like the heavy metal crowd. And so somebody just reached out and he's like, hey, like, I love your stuff. Can you design a t-shirt for my band? And it was just great to see because for him, that artist was still alive and still sharing their art. And, and uh, I had to be like, hey, you know, this is Andre. The artist has been dead for years and um, sorry. So there are a lot of interactions like that where people would, you know, treat these bots as, as if they were living artists. They start interacting with them or, you know, I get messages like, oh, hey, my grandma went to the same art school as, you know, as you did. Do you remember her? You know, and, and it breaks my heart when I'm like, hey, like, actually, you know, it's not me. I, it's, it's a fan account. So, well, uh, what are your what are your thoughts about analog art in a digital world? Do you think it's still important? And uh, well, let's just start with that. Because that's something that's very interesting to me is this intersection of the analog and the digital because there are so many algorithms now to help you find what you think you are interested in. I have my thoughts about that. That's what my kind of Ignite talk was about that year. But what are your thoughts on that in terms of analog art in the digital world? It is an interesting question. So I really see that our interactions, they're moving into the digital space, right? A lot of our life is kind of like moving in that direction. 
you know, and I do think that it's only natural that people get introduced to art through social media, they see it, they get familiar with it, they interact with artists through social media. And so to me, it's actually a really good development because I don't know about you, but a lot of people, when you talk about art, right, they consider it almost like a different world, like the world of galleries, the world of reviews, the world of expensive stuff that they don't have access to, where social media removes all of that. When you see something that you like, you like. When you see you don't, you don't need to pretend to be someone that you're not or, you know, have these opinions. It's just like, it's just another image in your feed. And I do feel that my work is introduce people to art and get them interested in it, in it, learn a little bit about it. But I hope that that translates into them interacting with art in the physical world, maybe buying a contemporary piece of art, you know, going and visiting a museum. Because I do think that as a way of introduction, social media is amazing and internet is great. But I do think that there's a lot of value in seeing a piece, you know, in real life and visiting a museum, seeing that art that you like and just standing there and experiencing it. So I do feel that what I do in the digital space and what happens in the analog world is very different, but it's almost one props another. It's like a two-way bridge. Right, right, exactly. And it's not like, for example, whenever I can, I try to buy a piece of analog art. I don't collect digital art, not because I don't find it appealing, but because it's a different experience. Like there's something to be said about the tactile experience of like owning a thing, having a thing on your wall Mm -hmm. um, and walking by it, you know, same as like a book on Kindle versus, you know, a book on your shelf. It's the same book, same content, but the way that you interact with it uh, and you experiencing it in your space is different. Yeah, I've noticed that with music. You know, I used to have a huge CD collection and I've since digitized that a long time ago and have a way huger digital music collection than I ever had physical music. And there's definitely a lot of incredible music in there, but I just don't, feel like I have the same relationship to it. It's like more, some of it's a little more disposable or, or there's just the simple fact that I don't know as much about the music as I used to because the MP3s don't come with liner notes all the time and I don't always take the time to go out and read about the artists and I don't know. It's just an interesting, I've just been noticing how my relationship with the music has evolved over the years ultimately i'm glad that i can have access to a lot more music and share it with a lot more people through my radio shows and other things but there's something about that physical thing the art on the wall the record or the book on the shelf that i think has real meaning especially in this digital world i think i don't know my theory is that people are kind of craving the analog many without even realizing that they're craving that I think we see it in the resurgence and the popularity of libraries and, and vinyl records, actual physical records have become a big thing again. And I don't know, it's interesting to me. I think it's really amazing to be able to scroll through Twitter and see all this fantastic art, but then take that inspiration to go out and get offline and go and do something 
artistic for myself or maybe it just you know enhances my appreciation for others art when i do see it on a wall or or wherever i see it because it's everywhere and that's ultimately the thing with art for me is that it's everywhere and not always intentional absolutely i think social media the internet in, in general trains our brain to always expect something new something different where i find there's a lot of value into seeing the same thing from a different angle and at a different time in your life and contemplating how you've changed how the world around you changed and how you see things different so to me right every piece of art that i share in line there is an analog original somewhere and so i think that i think there's value in having those physical things have you had any thoughts about finding ways to monetize the art bots or at least for you to make a living from doing it yeah so in terms of the monetization it's not the sharing of art that i'm trying to monetize but the technology itself and so what i've discovered through the years is that original concept that i started with six years ago has made this the circle and right now uh, a lot of artists are approaching me and they ask me hey can we use the same technology to share our contemporary art and um, the answer is yes so right now i have a small but a very talented team of developers and right now it's we just work on it in our spare time but we're building something for contemporary artists for designers for content producers to share their content across social media networks and we're hoping that this would generate some revenue where we can keep doing the art bot thing indefinitely so so we're we're trying to figure out a ways to finance this project by offering a service to contemporary artists and content creators and is this something that's open to now can people contact you now to get involved either as a developer or who wants to contribute to making the project or as an artist who wants to be involved with the sharing aspect of it absolutely all of those things so the project is live it's called off the easel off the easel.com so if you go there and you log in with your twitter account and upload some art you can create your own bot or you can also share content from our library which is about a million artworks from different museums and collections if you're a developer or if you're an investor reach out to me on twitter i'm andre tr one word lower case on twitter yeah and let's talk i'm always looking for people passionate about technology and art and eager to make new connections what's been your most surprising discovery on this art bot journey well, I mean, when I started it, it started as a kind of like a curiosity, right? As a hunch. But by building this app and sharing all this art, I feel that I've benefited so much from it myself, right? I had this idea of sharing art on social media, but <laughs> lately I realized that I was doing it for myself because it's such an enriching experience. to have this perspective right into the world to kind of like look at everything from through through a lens of art mm-hmm. and i guess the biggest surprise was the first of all how receptive people are to the idea and then how much 
this whole project has enriched my personal life and, and my experience in the world. So I would say this journey has been immensely rewarding and, and exciting. And just so I'm clear, all of the images that are shared by the various art bots, those are all curated by you? In some sense, they are. Yes. You know, I import the collections from different museums or from Wikipedia, Wikidata. Okay. So in some way, yes, I had, a, I had my hand in it. I, I don't do any, any additional curation. And early on, what, what I realized is that I have a lot of bias, even though I don't think of it all the time. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I'm a male, I'm 39, I'm white. I was brought up in Russia. And so I have certain cultural and stylistic preferences and biases that I'm even not aware of. And so when I share something, I share the stuff that I like. So I let these bots pick the works that they, you know, that the algorithm decides and I don't control it. And a lot of times it's like, ooh, you know, that artwork is really bad and I'm going to get in a lot of trouble for it. But sometimes it's, it's surprising and it's interesting. So yes, I try not to do any additional curation. In some cases, specifically with Facebook, I stopped sharing nudity just because they would just ban the account. So that was another interesting part where by enforcing certain standard, Facebook delegated the curation to the people who publish to the platform. So they would say, hey, there's no censorship on our platform, but we will block you if you share something that we don't like. And so content publishers like me were like, huh, you know, should I post it or not? Because if I do, I might get blocked. And so when we start censoring ourselves, I mm-hmm. think this, this is the big danger. Yeah. And what would be your advice to someone who is listening to this or who stumbles upon the art bot somehow? What would be, do you have any suggestions for a good way to get started? I mean, the obvious way, of course, is you're going to probably follow an artist that you already know about. But as someone interested in curation, I'm also interested in helping people discover the thing that they don't know about, but are, there's a good chance they're going to love once they discover right. it. Right. So the first step is exactly as you said. Start with something familiar. When you think of art, if Van Gogh and his Starry Night comes to mind, follow Van Gogh on Twitter and see if you like his other stuff. And uh, maybe you'll discover that you are not as much into Van Gogh as you thought you you were, and maybe you like Paul Gauguin better. And the way that you will discover Gauguin is Van Gogh now and then would repose Gauguin. And so just be open to different experiences and not everything that you see you have to like, right? And that's the part with art. We expect to like everything we see. Some art won't speak to you and you're going to hate it, but some art will. Just pay attention to how do you respond. Don't look at the number of likes. Don't look if it's popular or not, right? Just, yeah. just be mindful of what comes to mind. And if you like it, hey, click like, repost, maybe uh, see, see other things. But over time, as you look at a lot of different art, you'll start developing a very clear and unique to you sense of style you will realize that hey like i'm actually more of a 
expressionist person. I don't like impressionism. I certainly don't like cubism, but you know, I really like German expressionism. Uh, and uh, and just follow that, and then maybe go out, go to a local gallery, see what you like there. And you know, my hope is that by following art bots, you could come to a local gallery and you'll be like, "Huh, this reminds me of Van Gogh," and this is like Monet. I don't like that too much. I think that's an interesting point that you make, though, is to really like take in the art and see how you feel about it. You don't have to like it, as you said. And I think that's, that's kind of, I think, where I was getting at with the analog and the digital world and curation and all of that is that the algorithms in general tend to just keep us in a perpetual loop in our own little bubble. It just keeps feeding back based on what we like. In the end, you don't get anything new. My experience is you get kind of more and more watered down seemingly desperate attempts by the algorithm to come up with something that I'm going to like. Whereas it's really, you kind of just got to go through a bunch of stuff. Feel like I like this. I don't like that. Knowing that I don't like that helps me appreciate what I do like more. Appreciating what I like helps me understand what I don't like and make those decisions and move on from those things quicker. And I think that is kind of what's missing in the digital world in general is, is this sense of discovery because everything, it, a lot of it's just sort of a feedback loop now. Right. You know what I mean? And it's just a big, the world is just a big recommendation engine based on what I've already liked. But when I go through my music collection and, and come upon things that I remember like, man, if I had it just like whatever random thing occurred for me to hear this music, I never would have heard it and I wouldn't love it. And, and I wouldn't have sent me down a rabbit hole that has opened up all new genres and artists to me that I never would have appreciated or discovered or heard otherwise. And that's, even though the art bots are algorithms, you're the human behind them and they're at least attempting to expose me to new things through the eyes of those artists, so to speak. But I don't know, maybe it's just the functionality of Twitter because it's not gonna show you just what you're following, but it's like, oh, Edward Hopper shared this other artist with me that I'd never heard of before. And now I'm into this other artist that I never would have never heard of before, if it weren't right. Edward Hopper sharing it with me. And that's exactly what I'm trying to program into these bots, right? The ability to surprise. It's really important, the, the ability not only to be surprised by something, but also kind of the serendipity of it too. Yeah. Right. And exactly. because otherwise, yes, these algorithms that would want to know exactly what you like and what you don't like, and they want to show you only the things you, you like. But with art, it just doesn't work that way. Right. And you mentioned Edward Hopper. And it's interesting, right? A lot of people, Hopper is very known and um, widely accepted. But during the time of quarantine and isolation, people see his paintings differently hmm. because his paintings, there's a lot of loneliness. There's a, a lot of empty space. There's a lot of people in buildings and it speaks to people different because they're looking at it during a different time. The paintings of some of these African-American art artists that dealt with racism and injustice. Three months ago, most of us which is glance over them and look at them more as an artifact of the past. Mm -hmm. But now when the same piece of art comes in your feed, 
you see differently. And this is where I feel like the value of art is and the value of seeing the same piece over and over again is because the times are different and you experience the world differently. And there is value in that. Not, you know, the Instagrams of the world and Facebooks and Twitter to some extent. There's this constant push for new, new, new content. What's happening? Like, what's the latest thing? What's the latest trend? And what I'm trying to do is basically be like, hey, this painting was painted 100 years ago, but it's still relevant today. Like, we're still dealing with some of the stuff. Some of the stuff isn't, but some of this is like, we're like, the history is repeating itself. And it's repeating in the way that we're like, it's almost like this facepalm moment. We're like, hey, it's 2020, but we still haven't solved a lot of the issues that people 100 years ago dealt with. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else you'd like to add or that I missed? Thanks for the opportunity to talk about this project and I appreciate being on and um, yeah. Thank you, Joel. Andre Tarasuk, thank you very much for your time. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. I look forward to seeing more art bots in my timeline. I think I'll follow five new ones today. Just taking this interview as the inspiration to do that. Thank you very much. Yes, and thank you for filling our timelines with art. It's never been so necessary. It is my pleasure. That was Andre Tarashuk, software engineer and dedicated creator of ArtBots. Learn more at offtheeasel.com and follow him on Twitter at AndreTR. That's A-N-D-R-E-I-T-R. The Boulder Tech Podcast is made possible in part by Glider, a Colorado-based community movement and nonprofit that produces Boulder's Ignite and TEDx events as well as Boulder Startup Week. Learn more and consider a donation at Glider.com. Our intro music is by Echo Deck. Hear more at echodeck.com. That's E-C-C-O-D-E-K. Our outro music is by Earthrise Sound System. You'll find them at earthrisesoundsystem.com. The Boulder Tech Podcast is produced by me, Joel Davis. Your feedback, criticisms, comments, and guest suggestions are welcome. Reach me at joel at dojo4.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here for the next episode of the Boulder Tech Podcast.